Hey everyone, if you're a regular listener of the show, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon community. It's a great way to support the show and get extra exclusive episodes, including Digging for Justice, my DC movie rewatch podcast. Bonus episodes are available beginning at the $1 level, you can cancel anytime, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Superman Smashes the Clan and its 1946 radio show inspiration, Clan of the Fiery Cross, is the host of the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast, first-time guest on this show, Grant Richter. Welcome. Truth and Justice, Anthony, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Delighted to be here. I was just telling you off mic, I... Just listened to the episode of the Krypton Report podcast that you did with our mutual friend, Tyler Patrick. Now, my audience knows Tyler was just on this show a week ago. We talked about the Kirk Allen movie serials. Mm -hmm. And now in this episode, like I said, we'll be talking about this 1946 radio story that was the basis for the recent Superman Smashes the Klan comic book in 2019. So over these couple of episodes, you know, we're definitely looking back at, at some of the earliest adaptations of of the character and also you know for me and i and i suspect a lot of others filling in some gaps because i feel like with when we talked about this last time with the the movie serials and with the radio show i feel like not to speak for all superman fans but i feel like if we if we have some some gaps these are probably a couple of them so it's been fascinating to dive in it is it's it's been i i've gotten addicted to the show i've gone back and started listening to earlier story arcs and it is fascinating. And it's actually inspired me to start reading the golden age. Cause I've had very little interest in pre-crisis before now, but I'm really filling in all my gaps because of listening to the radio show. That's fantastic. Well, I had an interesting experience preparing for this episode because when I originally conceived of this episode, and even when I reached out to you in my mind, we're covering the comic Superman smashes the clan by Gene Yang mm-hmm. and, and the art team known as Guru Huru. And we were going to listen to the radio show and talk about it a little bit just for some added context. Mm-hmm. That was my intention. As I went through the process, though, and I, I don't say this to diminish the comic at all. The comic is very effective. It's, it's wonderful. But I was so taken by that radio show storyline. I was blown away by, by what they did and how they did it at that time. It yes. was so much more than what I would have expected from the radio show. And again, I have such little familiarity with it that I was really going in so cold and I was just blown away so much so that, you know, when I think about this, this story and yes, there are changes between the radio show and the comic, but at the heart of it, we have this young boy, Tommy Lee, this Chinese pitcher on a baseball team who he and his family are targeted by the clan of the fiery cross, the stand in for the KKK uh, Mm -hmm. in, in in the 1940s. And, you know, in my mind now, when I think about the story, it's really the radio show that I'm, I'm gravitating towards so much. Yeah. So it was, it was eye-opening, it's, you know, ironic since it's a radio show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was really surprised because I'd read about the first issue of Smash of the Clan before and I kind of moved on. I was like, well, I'll come back to it later. And, you know, like you said, it, it's like the radio show is the main thing. And then Smash of the Clan kind of takes it and then reproduces and adds things onto it, but it really is just building on everything from this radio show and, and fantastic. And I'm so pleasantly surprised 
by exactly how progressive this radio show from the 1940s was is it's warmed my heart <laughs> yeah it was and not to belabor the point but i was i was just really i was surprised by by how far they went mhm when we get to the po- the point in the in the radio serial where the fiery cross members set out to abduct and tar and feather young Tommy Lee. It was really, yeah. you know, I was really taken aback. I was like, whoa, like this really, this really packs a punch. I don't mean Hardcore. to make, I don't mean to make light of this, but I, I will say it was, it was jarring at times to go from the, you know, the often heavy material in the radio show mm. to these, to these Kellogg's pep ads. <laughs> so the P-E-P, pep, <laughs> eat every drop. Yeah. Eat, Your yeah. pal, Dan McCullough. Yeah. Don't <sighs> waste it. Eat all your pep. Yep. Don't waste it. Uh, so, you know, Kellogg's is a sponsor of the radio show and we had the ads for Kellogg's pep at the, at the beginning in the middle and at the end. And I, of course I had to look up Kellogg's pep because while I know Kellogg's, yeah. of course, I was unfamiliar with that specific. Yeah, me too. It's like Wheaties basically. Yeah. So there are these wheat flakes, uh, fortified with, uh, vitamin B and D and, uh, <laughs> I guess very popular in, in this time period, eventually discontinued in the seventies. 70s yeah i believe but uh yeah so there again there were those there's moments though where the show was getting pretty heavy and then we we would jump immediately to these mm-hmm. uh to these very peppy you know, pun intended yes. <laughs> radio ads but <laughs> it was you know listening to the ads you know really you really got the feel for for mm-hmm. what the experience was like listening to these back in the day now let's talk about this radio show just generally first uh so sure. it ran from 1940 to 1951 over 2000 episodes astounding mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of Superman fans, even if you're not familiar with the show, you know, we know that it gave us Perry White and Jimmy Olsen and, the, and Kryptonite and the Daily Planet. Like, yep. like a lot came from the radio show and certainly yes, was an inspiration absolutely. yeah, for for a lot of the Fleischer stuff and mm-hmm. and the Kirk Allen movie serials and the George Reeves show. I mean, it really set the, the, the tone and the template, I think, for a lot of the stories in those in those early decades when it comes to Superman adaptations and other media. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's astounding. Like I, I remember vaguely watching the, the George Reeves show with my grandfather when I was a little kid and I've watched some Fleischer episodes. And like you said, it's amazing how much built on this radio show. And there's, there's almost overlapping continuity between the radio show and the movie serials, like with the Adam man, and then a character in the radio show called the Crimson widow who became spider lady in the movie serials, all of which, uh, Gene Yang included in has included in s- some of his adaptations, which is really I'm, I love Gene Yang. He's one of my favorite writers by now. Between this, his uh, his Batman Superman run from last year, I think, and then uh, the new thing he's doing with Monkey Prince. He does. He is just a phenomenal writer. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit newer to his work, but but quickly becoming a fan, and, and I loved what he did with Smashes the Clan, and and mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, I mean, he utilizes Adam Man in in Smashes the Clan and Spider Lady in that Batman mm-hmm. Superman arc, uh, you know, which is really cool to to I don't you don't often see pulls from, you know, from yeah. the radio show and from that era, so it was really neat. Mm-hmm. But you know, until now, like I said, I had very little familiarity with the actual radio show when i covered the various tellings of superman's origin on this podcast uh, about a year ago uh, i did listen to the just the first few radio shows which yeah. was the first version of the origin they would later redo it and and bring it closer to the comics but uh you know we talked about it in the context of the origin story and in that in that version 
I've talked about this a bunch on the show, but you know, Superman arrives on Earth as an adult, comes out of the rocket ship, and you know, mm -hmm. he saves a little kid and his grandfather, and the kid's like, Oh, you should become a reporter and call yourself Clark Kent. And it was just You should call yourself Clark Kent. That's a pretty good name. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty goofy. But on the positive side, the thing that I responded to then, and I'll echo it now because I just kept thinking of this as I was listening, is something magical about listening to the radio show because it you know on the one hand it definitely transports you back to another time yes yet there's something so timeless about it because it's mm -hmm. radio you know you watch the kirk allen movie serials like tyler and i did last week and right. look they're a product of their time <laughs> there are certain limitations mm -hmm. and you know there's there's still something cool about watching it I, you know I, I still got something out of it but with the radio show you know when you're when you're just listening and you're using your imagination, it's like, yeah, if those were made today, yeah, the audio quality would be crisper and I'm sure there would be more effects mm -hmm. and things like that. But the basic heart and substance of it would, would be the same. And so there is something so timeless about it. So it was really cool just to kind of get into that, into that form of storytelling, which for right. me is largely new. And, and I think it's neat that things are starting to come back around that way too. I mean, you and I are obviously you know familiar with the podcasting industry, but you know, what got, first got me into podcasts was audio drums. I started out with welcome to night Vale, And uh, you know, I, I have a huge catalog of audio drums that I listen to now. And I would honestly rather listen to audio drama podcasts than I would watch TV by now. And so it's neat kind of getting into that place where like our grandfathers were in the 1940s. Well, maybe mine, because I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but I haven't had a conversation with my grandfather who's in his nineties and is still alive. I'm like, Hey, did you ever listen to the Superman radio show? He's like, yeah. So we had a neat, like 20 minute conversation about that a couple of weeks ago. So it was neat being able to kind of reconnect with an older generation like that. Oh, that's, did he remember specific episodes or stories or anything no i mean he was like 12 <laughs> when it when the show was on in the in 1940 um and so um he remembered more listening to things like the shadow and stuff like that um which i've also listened to because i love pulp drama like i love the shadow and the spider and and uh doc um uh doc savage and things like that so i can also relate on that level which is another thing i really liked about this was how pulp like the narration was in this series and i have i have specific notes that i'll get to when we get to it but awesome no uh, yeah it was uh it was quite an experience and we were talking off mic but yeah i i, I know you've you've continued listening to others I, i'm sure i will as well and and i i suspect we'll do more coverage on it in the future because it's really this again i always go back to this idea of gaps like gaps in my superman fandom and <laughs> As I make my way through this podcast series, those gaps are getting closed. There's there aren't as many left now as you know, we're 70 episodes in here and I've got a lot more mapped out and I know where we're going. But, you know, this still remains, especially with as many episodes as they did. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, there's still a lot to explore as far as uh, how we listened. And, and in case anyone and I, again, I if anyone has listened to any of the radio show, it's very likely it was clan of the fiery cross. Definitely very well yeah. known, but I suspect there are a lot of people listening to this episode who have, who have not checked out the show. So I did find there was uh, a site I had sent you a link to that had at least some of them, but you directed me mm -hmm. to something even better. The old time yeah. Superman radio show podcast, correct? Is that yes. what it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's another one by a podcast called Forble. F-O-U-R-A-B-L-E. And they have the same thing just with, with less with less commercials, <laughs> with less modern ads in it too. 
but it has like like you said like a thousand two thousand episodes something like that gotcha so there so if anyone's curious again you can find these online and there are some podcasts out there like the ones we mentioned that are playing uh the episodes mm-hmm. and like you said yes yeah, some have the modern commercials or a little bit of commentary at the beginning and the end but primarily they're you know they're sharing these episodes there's to my knowledge, there's no, you know, Warner Brothers doesn't sell like a set of, of the radio episodes. I would no, happily I'd, buy if something like that were available. But, absolutely. Yeah. If I could purchase that, I'd be extremely happy. So tell me a bit before we, you know, dive in more fully to Fiery Cross and Smashes the Clan. Mm-hmm. I want to hear more about your Superman fan journey. And I mean, I have a sense of this from interacting with you on Twitter and your show and mm-hmm. the episode of Krypton Report that you just did. But I think the thing that I'm so struck by that I would love to hear you talk about is how recently, I know you had been exposed to Superman when you were younger through Super Friends and the movie, but how recently you really dived into all of this. Yeah, I I fell in love with Superman as a character in December of of 2020. (laughs) I had, I'd been a Marvel guy most of my life and I was on the Marvel app and I just got burned out on it and I signed up from the DC app on a whim and I spent a couple months just trying everything out. I tried some Green Arrow and some Green Lantern, some Kyle Rayner, stuff like that. And then I decided to try all of Rebirth. And the, you know, the Rebirth Superman title in Action Comics just grabbed me the hardest. And once I got to, I think, issue seven of Superman, the one where they go to the county fair, I was locked in. That was like, I am, I am a Superman fan. And I started going back with Burns Man of Steel. And I have filled in, I've gone from Burns Man of Steel up to world of new Krypton so far since then, and still, still feeling out the new 52 a little bit here and there. But beyond that, I've got the rest of my gaps filled in from rebirth to current as well. And I just jumped in feet first. That Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the things that's so cool about that is and this is something that I always remind myself of is like everyone comes to Superman. Well, not everyone comes to Superman, but those who do. <laughs> and right. even if you're just talking comics generally or Superman specifically, mm-hmm. like everyone has their own entry point and mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't matter like what the story is or where you are in your life. If it grabs you, you know, you're in. Cause I, I guess I always think about it in terms of, you know, starting with the death of Superman. And for such a long time, mm-hmm. I, I thought to myself like, Oh, I'm such a recent, like I'm, you know, I got into this so recently and you know, people have been <laughs> reading since the silver age and, you know, now it dawns on me as we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of Death of Superman. It's like, nah, right. you're kind of a veteran of this now, buddy. Uh, so, you know, and, and it's great that you had the ability to to immerse yourself, you know, so yeah. so fully in, in all of this. Was if any, it wasn't for the streaming services, I probably wouldn't be as into it as I am. Just the fact that I can take this massive library and just my ADHD brain wants to read everything at once. <laughs> so I read as much as I can, as often as I can. And, and, you know, I work from home, so I have the time to do that, which is really nice. So, you know, I just immersed myself in it completely. Look, I know I knock, I knock the DC app often enough. There are some omissions that I feel should be, yeah. should be corrected. However, uh, there is a lot mm-hmm. on there. And I would imagine, you know, for me, it's, some, it's sometimes frustrating because I'm looking for something so specifically and, um, you know, but yeah. if you're just starting, there, there is a lot there in fairness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad. Like, once you that. hit about... Once you hit infinite crisis, the the gaps close and there there aren't as many. But yeah, everything from before then there, it is pretty unfortunately gappy, especially around the blue energy area. That was rough. <laughs> we'll eventually like get all the there significant the parts of the blue energy area are missing. I'm like, okay, I don't I don't know. I'll just wing it, I guess. 
Yeah, not to take us too far afield, but I, I have I have explored that a bit, mapping out the future because we'll get there eventually on the show. And mm-hmm. they're missing the Superman Red, Superman Blue one shot that splits mm-hmm. the electric Superman into two, and they're missing Superman Forever, the one shot that returns him to his traditional powers and costume. It's like yes. guys. <laughs> Come on. I, and I guess, the, the, I guess the priority is, you know, the, the ongoing series, but it's like, these one shots are really critical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if I could ever, I really would love to do an interview, not, not even a combative one. I genuinely have questions and, and would come from it from a respectful place with someone who's involved in the process of getting stuff mm-hmm. on there. Cause I would really love to know everything that goes on. And there might be yeah. reasons for why stuff isn't there that I'm not aware of. I would love to know anyway. Uh, the last thing I want to say, oh, I, I want to talk about your podcast too, but just as far as your reading project, I felt so bad when I covered the rebirth era, I wanted to love it as much as, as you and other people I know, have it's okay. I really wanted to, but that's the thing. And like I said, in those episodes, you know, I know there are others out there who, who got more out of it. And so that's, I'm mm-hmm. not one of them, but I'm glad that, you know, look at this journey that it, that mm-hmm. it, it set you on. So it, that's, it's wonderful. Well, not only do I, do I really like the rebirth era. I'm reading the Bendis era for the second time around, and oh. I like it a whole lot more than I did the first time. And I know that hurts your soul. <laughs> it's fine. Again, I like I always say, I never begrudge anyone their enjoyment. And when I don't like something, I'm glad when someone else does, because otherwise, if if no one like, then it's like, why? Why is this even there? Right. As long as right. someone's getting something out of it, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's cool. So you started this podcast. And has, how long has it been now? About a, a year, a little bit. More? It's been just over a year. I did my one year anniversary episode two weeks ago. So, truth, came, justice, I, and hope is the podcast. Truth, justice, and hope, right? And the the tagline is the show of the show is the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective in real life through the lens of a Superman fan. So, like like you said, I I started with technically Convergence, and you know, then the Lois and Clark miniseries, and on forward, and I do two episodes. Uh, two issues an episode i do an episode every week and then i have a segment at the beginning of the show called my thoughts from the fortress of solitude which is about humanist ethics really and so it's just my thoughts on everything from getting father's day presents up to into the other end of the spectrum like recent decisions out of the supreme court and just my thoughts on the ethics of things and how it makes you feel and how you deal with it and you know in terms of you know positive solutions you can take to real world problems sometimes. And I do get into politics sometimes a little more than I'm comfortable with. And I'm trying to dial that back, but you know, I'm not going to stop talking about it because I think that's what Superman would do. So, you know, I know I heard you talk about that with, with Tyler and it's something that I, I thought of too, especially reading these reading and listening to the stories that we did for this and the importance yeah. of taking a stand and being vocal. And, you know, I, I, rarely touch on politics on the show for you know for a couple of reasons one i think for for myself and for a lot of us who were you know reading and watching and consuming this podcast where you know it's an escape right and so there's mm-hmm. that element that i i want to try to preserve but I'll, but i'll also admit that and and i hate to say this i like i'm kind of embarrassed to say it. there's also this feeling of well if i express my my view on something and someone doesn't agree am i going to catch flack for it am i going to lose you know, lose listeners. Yep. And it's one of those things, but at the same time, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think anyone would mistake me for a Trump supporter. I certainly hope not. Right. I hope I've at least made that clear. <laughs> if not, I say it now. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where, 
you know, there's definitely these stories were inspiring. You know, I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. that I would necessarily change the way I, I do the show, but you know, if, and when the next opportunity comes up to express something, I don't know, I, I might not couch it so delicately because right. I, I think there is something to, uh, especially, I don't know, I've thought about this a lot over recent years, you know, there's, it's one thing when you know you're having a healthy debate on on a mm-hmm. on an issue, but I feel like so much of what we've been living through, from my perspective at least, it's like you can't. There's certain things you just you, you can't defend. It's not a matter of opinion. It's like when you are hurting groups of people yeah. and actively working against. That's not a matter of oh, we have a difference of political opinion. You right. know, I do think we get into areas of genuine right and wrong, and so. Exactly. Uh, you know, but but anyway, and, and so especially going through these stories that really sparked, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because I felt like this really was a great, <laughs> a great tie-in, and and again ties in right in my wheelhouse, yeah. And just on a you know, as far as the plugs go, uh, Truth, Justice, and Hope is available on on all major podcast yeah, it, platforms. Yeah, it's it's I, I do it through Anchor, so it's Anchor.fm slash Truth Truth Justice and Hope. Excuse me. Um, but it's also, you know, Google, Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, all, all the, all the majors. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I've talked about this here and there, but it's, it's so cool connecting with other super band podcasters. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Cause when I, when I first started the show, not, not that I had any reservation, but you know, there are, even when I started now, you know, two years ago, it's like there were plenty of other Superman podcasts out there. So it's like, well, you know, and, and what I ended up finding is that not only is it, at least from what I've experienced, not only is it not competitive, but I feel like a lot of us Superman podcasters are each other's biggest supporters and, and audience yes. members, which is really, yes. really cool. I would not have expected that. <laughs> yes. It's a very supportive fandom. It's so nice. There's very little toxicity in it. And I think the, what little toxicity is, there are comes from those people who don't really consume the media. They have the, their own idea that they've put into place or bots. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, as far as table setting goes, the last thing I want to say about smashes the clan in particular, and, and I'm always, uh, you know, on this show, I'm always quick to admit when I've been wrong about something. And this is another mm-hmm. example. I, you know, I've talked about this before with, um, Superman 78, for example, when I talked about that, I was like, you know, I, I initially avoided this. I've, for whatever reason, I have this bias against adapt, like comic book adaptations or continuations mm-hmm. of movies or TV shows. I couldn't explain why. Similarly, because I was saying to myself, why did I never read Superman Smashes the Clan? You know, I remember all the acclaim that it got, uh, you know, came out you know, a few years ago now, 2019. Mm-hmm. And I may hate to say it, I think it was the young adults label. I think yeah. I looked at it as like, oh, this is going to be a kid's book and it's 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 something that works for all ages and i'm i kick myself because mm-hmm. i have i have comic creator friends who do all ages books i understand the difference between an all ages book that can work mm-hmm. at for all levels versus a true kids book which is really aimed at a young audience but i think i saw that young adult label on it and i just felt like oh like this it's not for me it's not going to hold my interest i never read it and i I wish I had gotten to it earlier. Did you read it mm-hmm. at the time or was this newer for you? I, I wasn't even on, I didn't, I wasn't even reading DC in 2019 when this came out. I read it for the first time, really just recently. I, I got the the graphic novel of it for Father's Day. And so I, I burned through it really fast. Um, I'm right with you though. If I had seen this on the shelf, 
I wouldn't have got it because I've got it right. It's it's really small. Like it it's it's a definitely a young adult size book. I read it digitally and then I kind of like supplemented with the hard copy. But yeah, if I'd seen this on the shelf, I probably wouldn't have got it just because of the size. Cause I'm like, oh, that's what I associate with like like when Runaways from Marvel first hit the shelves as a graphic. It was tiny. It looked like something you could put in your pocket. And so I was like, yeah, I probably would have passed that. But you know, luckily I saw it digitally first. I was like, oh, and I, I love Gear, the art team, Girahiru's art, because I used to read uh, um, Unstoppable Wasp with my daughter. And they did the art on that, which was great. And so, you know, I, I was actually really drawn to the art. And I had no idea it was even supposed to be young adult until after I'd gotten the, the, the hard copy and go, oh, there's a little young adult tag on the back. That's neat. So when you when you got it for Father's Day and read it then, you had not yet listened to the radio show, though, correct? I had started listening to the radio show a while ago, stopped it, and then picked it up again maybe I don't know, early June. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting because I, I really, I definitely feel like I got more out of the comic having listened to the radio show first. You know, I'm curious mm-hmm. to know what it would be like Again, I'm sure it still works on its own, and I know clearly Smash of the Clan was really popular, and I, I, I doubt everyone who was reading it had, had listened to the radio show, but it, it was definitely fascinating. Again, they, they, they really are on similar tracks here, not, not huge differences, although the, the comic definitely adds a lot, a far more prominent role for Lois. We introduce a sister for Tommy Lee, and mm-hmm. Superman has his own yeah. arc in this, where he yeah. really does Much not bigger the bigger arc for show. Inspector Henderson, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and as a black man who, in the comic, which adds a whole other yeah. component. Yeah, who whose role in the radio show is often just to tell Clark Kent that he's crazy. You don't know what you're talking about, Kent. And much more, much much more supportive role in the, in the comic. Yes, for sure. So yeah, it definitely fleshes out a lot. But uh, you know, the the radio show really really holds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. You know, yeah. and I'll say that you know the big picture thing, and I'm sure we'll keep coming back to this idea. The you know, it's heartbreaking to mm-hmm. listen to the radio show and know how frustratingly relevant it all still yes. is today. Yes. How, how little has changed or the way I think of it is things looked better for a while. It's just the, the, the scorpion was sleeping, the, the referring to the, you know, uh, the grand scorpion of the fiery cross, like the reference, the dragon was sleeping, you know, whereas all just kind of simmering under the surface and broke out in the last seven years. Um, but yeah, it, it's frustrating how either it's not changed at all or it's cycled back around to it. So much so, and I, I don't say this to Monday morning quarterback smashes the clan, but part of me wonders because the comic is set in the same time period as the radio show in 1946. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I love seeing that golden age era of the character. Yeah. That was actually one of our listener, our patron questions. Brian Dempsey asked, would I want to see Gene Yang write more stories of golden age Superman? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But part of me, and let me ask you this, you know, again, there's something to be said for, you know, honoring the original time period of the radio show mm-hmm. and, all, and all that. But part of me wonders, would it not have been better served by setting it in the present day, or would that have been too, too on the nose? Like, do you, do you like this the, the time period that the book is set in? I like the time period. Um, I like how in the comic, Yang takes 
Superman's power set from the beginning of the golden age where he was just strong and could, you know, was fast and could jump really far and then incorporated a in-story reason for how his powers developed. I think that was neat. I think you kind of need to do that in the thirties if you're going to do it. I mean, I know it's obviously an alternate reality story, but plus there, I, like you said, I just like seeing Superman in that time. I like seeing a modern interpretation of the golden age. I think it's really neat. I think it's really cool. And, and like you said, it might've been too on the nose. I think it might've turned, you know, some people off. It might've been like, eh, I don't want to take it that seriously. You know? So yeah, yeah. I think, it, I think yeah. that a good balance. I think that's fair enough. I'll also say, I think as much as I enjoyed the comic story, I was I was so impressed by the essay that Yang wrote that was spread across mm-hmm. the, the 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 back of of all three books talking about the history of the clan and his his personal history as well mm-hmm. uh, and that of his family. Uh, it, it was really interesting, you know, to get a little bit more historical context, but also to get more of a sense of where you know he was coming from in all of this. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, for anyone who hasn't read the, the book at all, but certainly if you haven't read the um, that essay at the back of the three issues, I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's really touching. Um, I think he's been through a lot, and I he has such a positive outlook on things in general, and just in everything he's written. And I'm just very impressed with him as both a writer and a person. Yeah. The, the other thing I'll say too, especially especially when I was listening to the to the radio show, uh, you know, and, and speaking of my own experience, so. I'm a straight white man. There's a lot that I've been fortunate to not experience, but yeah. my wife is Chinese and our son is, mm-hmm. is half Chinese. And, you know, so it, it definitely resonated with me in a, mm-hmm. in a way that it wouldn't necessarily have a few years ago. And, you know, it, it broke my heart in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are slurs against the Chinese community that are, that are said um, it's softened a little bit in the, mm-hmm. in the comic, but still there. Um, yeah. But you hear it, you know, more in, in the radio show and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, you know, some point my son will likely hear that. I don't know what the context or the intent will be, but at yeah. some point it'll have to be addressed. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I hate that it, it yeah. breaks my heart. Um, so, you know, again, especially listening to it, it really, it, it hit me in a way that, like I said, a few years ago, it still would have resonated. Don't get me wrong, but it, it struck home. Uh, it hit home in a, in a bigger way. Yeah. And you know, like I'm at the same place with you. I'm a straight white male and in, in my middle ages, you know, life is, you know, weirdly, you know, unfortunately canted to my privilege, but you know, I have very close family members who are young and are, are queer and I know that they are going to grow up with those same prejudices and it's, you know, they, they're not going to be able to live their authentic self in a lot of circumstances, which really is awful and breaks my heart. But so all I can do is be a supportive, you know, a, a source of support for them. Yeah. Well, you know, while on this note of, you know, speaking out about things, I, you know, my, my perspective kind of widened over the past few years especially with respect to representation in comics. And so yeah. I, I do another show called My Comic Shop History and I did a documentary called My Comic Shop Country and I went to all these all these shops. And one of the ones I went to is a store that very sadly recently announced that they're closing, but uh, it's Amalgam Comics and Coffee House in Philadelphia and it's owned and operated. Uh, it's the only comic shop on the East Coast owned and operated by uh, by a black woman. And, and the first time I interviewed her, I did it once for the 
podcast and then again for the documentary. But the first time I spoke with her, she gave me her origin story and, and talked about how uh, she got into this world through Storm uh, mm-hmm. with the X-Men and how as a as a young black girl, there were so few instances of yeah. seeing herself represented in the pages of a comic or in the cartoons mm-hmm. or in the movies. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it, it just, he, I don't know, hearing her tell that story, it kind of made me think about how I've not had to think about that, right? Like, like yeah. for me, there's no shortage of people mm-hmm. who look like me in the stories that I, that I consume, but I yeah. can imagine what it would be like if that weren't. And so you see why it's so meaningful. So, you know, when these debates come up about like, you know, the, about representation in comics, it's like, you got to take a step back and imagine what it's like for people who don't right. see themselves. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, for so long, I didn't think about it. You know, it like for a while, my favorite superhero was, I've, I've always had to have a favorite superhero since I was a little kid. That's just how my brain's wired. And for a long time, it was Steve Rogers. And I was like, well, I tend to lean towards this guy because, you know, I can relate to him. And then I started thinking, like, well, I don't necessarily need to relate to a character to like them. And that, that's a very narrow minded point of view. And so I really started expanding and, you know, like outside of Superman, like my like my next favorite character recently is uh, is a Sojourner Moline from um, uh, from the Green Lantern. So I there's, there's just uh, such a wide variety of characters out that out there now. You know, we happen to like a white male character. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean we can't like so many others. Absolutely. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll pick this back up. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang on to your shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang on to your shorts and Cullen on Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, 
to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Oh Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit AllYeahComics.com and follow Oh Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Oh yeah. And we're back. All right, so going back to Clan of the Fiery Cross, I, I mean, I guess just, you know, as you're listening to these 16 episodes, it was a 16-chapter story, each one mm-hmm. with commercials about 15 minutes or so. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't listen to the Kellogg's Pep commercial every time. Yeah. I, would, I would skip ahead. <laughs> I, so that, I made myself listen to it a couple of times because it's so funny. <laughs> the ones in the other story arcs are even funnier where they're, where they're promoting like mail-in things or, or think prizes in the cereal. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> you can send in for your own very own sundial wristwatch kids. <laughs> it's amazing. So, you know, cutting out the commercials that saved a little bit of time. And I actually found that they, they went very quickly. Uh, yeah. They really, they really moved. Oh, you know, I want, I don't want to forget this because in the episode I did with Tyler about the movie serials, we, we talk, have you seen the serials? I have not. Okay. I'm, I'm, they're, they're on my list of things to do, but I sit down so rarely to watch TV that's not high on the list. So this probably won't help matters. Uh, we, t- <laughs> we talked about how, I won't rehash the whole episode, but we talked about how not just formulaic, but repetitive they were to the mm-hmm. point where it, I said, I said, it was like, it felt like I was stuck in a loop and a time yeah. loop. Like it was just the same sort of back and forth between Clark and Lois and Jimmy and the bad guys chapter Mm. after chapter after chapter. And so going into the radio serial, I was like, Oh, what is, you know, is this going to be a similar type of thing? I was very pleasantly surprised, you know, not a ton happens necessarily in a lot of these, like, you know, Mm. one of the chapters might be, um, you know, a little Chuck Riggs, you know, trying to decide whether to come forward with the information that will help save Tommy Lee and, you know, Clark is trying to get a, a handle on where Jimmy and Perry have been taken. And right. yeah, that might be it for that chapter, but it moved forward. There was it, every chapter had some forward movement. This might not mm-hmm. seem like a lot, but after coming out of those serials, the movie <laughs> serials, <laughs> I was kind of beaten down by those. And so this was kind of refreshing where, it, you know, I think it was between the recaps and, and again, not a ton of ground covered in each episode. I, I could see where if you missed a day, you know, you, you wouldn't be lost for the remainder of the episodes, a la the movie mm-hmm. serial, same type of thing where you, you wouldn't necessarily go to the serial, see the serial every week. So right. it had that going for it, but it just, it was not, it didn't have that, that repetition that the mm-hmm. movie did. And it just felt like we were moving forward each time. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. There were two things that the radio show did for this arc that I thought was really, really smart you know, in the way that the, the, comic series with young adults and obviously this the show was probably aimed at kids anyway but it framed it around a thing that was popular with boys at least which is probably their main target audience at the time. it frames it around baseball you know so you, you, hey jimmy you like baseball these baseball players don't like racism you shouldn't like racism too and the other thing i thought was really savvy it's it's almost devious they they don't mention the fact that Tommy is Chinese until like issue five, episode five or six, 
of the series. They get you to care about Tommy and his family as characters before they even mention it. It's like, well, you know, they, they say something about uh, like um, Chuck refers to Tommy as like a yellow banana. And the way you frame it, it comes because it's like yellow is like being a chicken, right? You know, being a coward. But, you know, you don't find out he's Chinese until you've established this Tommy's a good dude. And so really smart to maybe take, because, you know, like I said, my grandpa's still around. He was a kid in that time. You know, I have to deal with the fact that my grandpa's kind of a racist. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure there was some casual racism that was very prevalent at the time. And so making them people first and then dealing with the race second was really, really clever. I agree a thousand percent. And I, I clocked that as well. It was, Mm -hmm. it was episodes in to Clan Mm -hmm. of the Fiery Cross where before Jimmy is finally talking to Clark and he's like, why are they targeting Tommy Lee? And and it's at that point that Clark says, because they're Chinese, it took, you know, it took multiple chapters. I agree. I thought that was such a great choice. That definitely, uh, you know, that definitely registered with me. It's like, oh, we really, we're, we're taking our time with this. But again, I think, you know, exactly to, you know, for the reasons that you said, and they did that to great effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I like. Sorry, I got brain stuck there for a second. I don't think they mentioned their nationality until episode six, and I think in episode five was when Jimmy is talking to Doctor Lee. He says, "Why are they targeting you, Doctor Lee?" And Doctor Lee says, "If you don't know, I can't explain it to you," which was really, you know, I knew by then because I I think I read Smash of the Clan first, but I'm like. Oh, wow. That's, that's kind of powerful. You know, if you can't figure out racism on your own, Jimmy, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, throughout the, the radio show, all of our heroes, Clark, Jimmy, Perry, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the narrator, right? Yes. It's, it's, you know, like the narrator is not an impartial, you know, objective narrator here. It's very clear that these are closed minded bigots and, good Americans evaluate people based on their character and their qualities, not on where they're from or what church they go to, or as they say over and over, how they part their hair. Right. Like I, I made notes about things the narrator said one, because I really like how pulpy some of the narration is, but in the first episode, he refers to, you know, the, the clan is an evil fire and evil subversive forces. And then when they, when they, when, uh, Chuck first takes Tommy to the clan meeting. The narration says in a glade casting weird shadows over the nearby hills and lighting the sky above burns a huge wooden cross before it kneel half a hundred men clothed in long robes, pointed hoods slit only the eyes cover their faces and a low guttural chant issues harshly from their hidden lips. They lean in so hard to a, a big theme of, of pulp fiction is like the evil death cult. And they really lean into that. There's like, there is no good people on both sides of this story, which was kind of what I was expecting, honestly, going into it. It's like, well, they're bad guys and they do bad guy things, but so are a lot of other bad guys. No, these are evil, evil people. And they do not mince words about it, which is, I loved it. I was like, yep, give me more of this show. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, I really... I wasn't expecting that. I really wasn't expecting anything. I didn't know what I was really, really getting going into the story. And so, you know, to see how emphatically they made the point that they made in this, 
was, you know, was really striking. But at the same time, I mean, I, I still wouldn't describe it as, as preachy. It's like, it really told yeah. the story through, through the characters and especially through our young characters and the Jimmy Olsen in this, right. Is, is a kid, mm-hmm. he, you know, just as yeah. we'll see in smashes the clan. I mean, he's a kid. He's the, the manager of the unity, the unity house baseball team. Uh, Cobra Potter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think where, and I agree with you, it's, this is not a very fine people on both sides sort of thing, Mm -hmm. but where, you know, you do see some, some redemption, some, some chance for, for growth is with little Chuck Riggs. Yeah. Chuck. Yeah. Right. What's the uncle's name again? Max or Martin or. Uh, Matt. Matt. Matt Riggs. Um, but with, but with little Chuck, like that's where you see the opportunity to, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of bring someone to, to the other side of, of, of hate. So I yeah. appreciate that. That was, that was one thing that I thought the radio show did a bit more effectively in the conversation between Chuck and his uncle. When, when mm-hmm. Chuck is, is talking about getting beaned by Tommy at, at baseball practice, the radio mm-hmm. show spent the time, like you really see how how a kid comes to learn hate and racism Mm -hmm. through this, this uncle just gaslighting him. Yeah. Gaslighting him and just like beating this into his head of like, no, Tommy did this on purpose. That's what his people are like. He's trying to steal your spot on the team. We're going to go to the meeting and we're going to tell everyone about this. Uh, There's also this business, right? That uh, Tommy's father, Dr. Lee, right? Is the new chief bacteriologist. Mm-hmm. at the metropolis health department so there's there's that going on too and the comic plays up plays that up e- even more where you see you know a little bit more about uh you know that that side of it but so that there's also <laughs> that mixed up in this right so that this chinese family has moved into uh moved out of chinatown into this you know white area of metropolis and you know tommy's taking over the you know the the, the spot as the pitcher on the baseball team mm-hmm. and his father is now in this prominent position uh for the, the health city. department yeah uh, but yeah, but I thought that the radio show, you know, when you, you know, when you listen to that uncle, like beating the story mm-hmm. into, into, into his nephew's head and twisting it and, you know, you, mm-hmm. you see how, how that could happen. I, you know, that still plays out in the comic, but I thought the radio show really did an effect. They spent the time there. Yeah. I was really struck by the difference between the, uh, Chuck's mom in the radio show and Chuck's mom in the comic. Because Chuck's mom in the comic is like, well, you know, the clan does some rough stuff, but is it really that bad to want to live among your own kind? And Chuck's mom in the radio show is like, those people are no worse than Nazis. And that's who your father died fighting, Chuck. And it's it lays into they the the fact that the radio show goes around, you know, it's it goes out of its way to compare the clan to Nazis. Like, yep, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it was interesting to see, you know, to see that difference. Uh, you know, we, we we touched on this before, but the the comic gives Superman an arc in this, where he's exposed mm-hmm. to kryptonite for the first time, and it's triggering mm-hmm. these these memories and these visions of his birth parents, mm-hmm. and eventually leads to the unlocking of his full power set, right? And this idea mm-hmm. that he had been holding himself back because he has these memories from being a kid the first time. You know, he got angry and he levitated and he used his heat vision, you know, the the, the Bravermans. Now, as a fan yeah, of, of Kenny Conduit, Braverman. Yeah, as a fan of Conduit <laughs> from the nineties, I love the Bravermans being in there. But uh <laughs> like Kenny and Kyle Braverman, the town bullies. I know. You know, their mother, she's like, Clark's a you know, a demon. He's a demon. Yeah. Uh and, you know, and you know, these are memories that Clark has repressed and he's and he's mm-hmm. su- suppressed these, you know, this 
aspect of his powers. And it leads to some interesting convers an interesting conversation with Roberta, Tommy's sister, and this yeah. about how um and this actually ties in with something I was saying when we did our um you haven't heard this yet based on when we're recording, but mm-hmm. uh, when I covered the uh, New 52 Superman and, and how at the beginning of the Morrison run, he's really that golden age-esque depowered version of the character. And, mm-hmm. and what I said there is exactly what Roberta articulates in the comic of, you know, when Superman's powers are more modest, you don't, you don't necessarily have that fear from the public about mm-hmm. either, you know, even if you don't get into the fact that oh, he's an alien, but just this idea of someone having that much power, it's like, and like Roberta right. says, well, you know, people can be strong. You're just stronger. People can be fast. You're faster. Uh, but when yep. you're shooting fire from your eyes, it's a whole different, mm-hmm. a whole different ball game. Did you like that arc that it gave Clark in the comic? I did. Um, it was jarring at first. Um, cause like I said, I, I kind of started reading the comic and I went back and listened to the show and I was like, well, this, this very deviates so much from the radio show, but the more I read it, the more I liked it, the more I got it, you know, especially when he first sees the hallucinations of, of his parents is in the, which turn into his birth parents and where they're the green skinned alien with antennas look like, like a Greedo from star Wars almost in that repressed hallucination is based on the the pulp magazine that he was reading when he first manifested his powers when he was getting picked on by kenny braverman or when pete ross was getting picked on by kenny braverman and so that was really the more i read it the more i liked it because it was really clever i think it was really well done that that was ultimately the place i got to as well i think you know my initial reaction was hey you know i don't know if we need this and that's Mm -hmm. not a criticism of the story it's a testament to how invested i was in mm-hmm. in the Lee family and the yeah. Unity House baseball team where, mm-hmm. you know, because again, in the radio show, obviously Clark is there and Superman too, but, you know, Superman is used sparingly. It was re- reminiscent of the George Reeves show where most of the episode mm-hmm. would be Clark and Lois and Jimmy investigating as reporters and then right. they would get in a jam and he would have to change it to Superman and save them for the last couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. So similar in the, in the Clan of the Fiery Cross where, you know, and even Clark is used somewhat sparingly i mean a lot of it is is chuck and tommy jimmy 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 gets a lot of perry which Mm -hmm. i always like yeah that version of perry is great he's like almost he's comedically grouchy (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) although you know there's that whole stretch in the radio show where you know perry is writing these editorials and offering rewards Mm -hmm. for information on the identity of of the the clans the clansmen and you know, of course, the fiery cross it won't stand for that. And so they kidnap Perry and Jimmy. And, you know, Perry is just like, no, they won't do anything to us. They won't. As the situation yeah. gets increasingly worse and he's just mm-hmm. like, no, they won't do anything. It's like, buddy, I think you got to take yeah. this a little bit you more were coming seriously. You're coming this from a position of privilege, Perry. Uh, one thing I thought was really funny about the the rewards, I looked up what, because first it starts out, as, excuse me, it starts out as a thousand and works its way up to 5,000. $1,000 in 1946 would be $21,000 today and 5000 would be $75,000 today. So the planet was rolling in it in 1940s, apparently. The planet Perry was had the, some scratch. The planet was the place to be. I always, I always think about that when, you know, watching the George Reeve show or listening to something like this, you know, it was a, again, that was a place to be there. The resources were, were quite vast. I always think about how, you know, they're always flying two reporters and a photographer to all of these locations. And I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the expense report for something like this. So, 
yeah, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that is. I appreciate you doing the math because yeah, that that's that was quite that was quite the sum. Yeah. Um, one thing you were saying about how little they actually play off the Superman. He doesn't appear till episode six. Well, he doesn't appear as Superman. He's just he zips around in his civilian clothes and does a couple of super, superhuman feats, but he doesn't strip out of his Clark identity and put on the, the blue uniform and red cape of Superman until, and which is when Tommy disappears from the show, weirdly enough. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy doesn't, after Tommy breaks his arm, he's not in the show anymore, but, but that's, you know, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's surprisingly little play for Superman in the actual drama. Exactly. But, and, and, but it still works. I mean, like, that's the thing, Mm -hmm. such a, such a testament to the story they were telling where I was invested in the other characters. And so, you know, when we got to the comic, I I know this is a weird thing to say as a Superman fan on a Superman podcast, but I I just sort of felt like, I don't know that I necessarily need to see him uncovering his origin. However, to your point, you know, as I made my way through and, you know, you see thematically how this ties in and he has to accept who he is, accept himself Mm -hmm. and his otherness. Uh, right. You know, just just as uh, as our other characters do as well. And yes, as a fan, um, it, it was I did appreciate the use of kryptonite here, how mm-hmm. even though, yes, it does have this negative effect, it hurts him, but it also is unlocking yeah. these things that he had buried. So I thought that was a that was a cool take on it. And and yes, as a fan of the Golden Age version of the character, it was cool to see an in-story explanation for mm-hmm. how he went from that golden age version to the the, the more right. powered uh, iteration of the character that we know so yeah it was and the kents were alive which i appreciate and i assume they were not going to be in this and i was so happy I, when he saw yeah. them yeah I, I i love mom and pa being alive this swarms my heart yeah for sure so yeah so his arc uh, you know I, I thought you know it, it definitely worked and, and tied into mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to, to what was going on. What else stood out to you about either of these stories? Um, just, you know, just little things, uh, little things from the comic were really neat. Like I love when he gives Roberta his cape and then she takes it home and uses it as a blanket first. And then there's, there was this big deal about, she had this jacket that she wore all the time in Chinatown. Cause she had really, really bad anxiety. And then she threw up on it. So her mom had to throw it out. And then her mom takes Superman's cape and makes it into her new kind of confidence jacket. I thought that was really great. Um, little things about the artwork, like when he in the comic, when he first appears at the ball game and he has his full powers and he's floating above the ball field. And I tweeted about this because a lot of times when when artists use the red eyes to show that Superman is what at least righteously indignant, he looks like a murder god. But here it's his head is positioned slightly in front of the sun and it looks like the sun light is coming through his eyes. And there was something really, really powerful about that. Um, and just, <laughs> I thought the, I love the parallels between, I forget what the, the head of the clan's name is Cedric, or Cedric Wilson. I loved, you know, the parallels between in the radio show, uh, Matt goes to Wilson's house and says, you know, look, we, uh, we've been routed. The other clansmen have been arrested. You need to get help. And in both of them, the head of the clan says, look, this is a money-making scam. And you bought into the line that we sell to the rubes to get them to give us 
$10, which, you know, back in the 1940s would have been like probably 150 bucks. And, you know, I, I love the parallels, but, you know, <laughs> but then of course in the comic, it's, he, he tries to use like a kryptonite gun to kill Matt, <laughs> which Matt knocks out of his hand. And in both of them, he chokes the other guy to death. I really, when they match up, when they align perfectly, it's really, really powerful. If you've listened and read both. I'm glad you brought that up with the imperial mogul that that matt speaks mm -hmm. with uh the the comic book version was fine but i felt that mm -hmm. the the busting out of the kryptonite weapon and this larger <laughs> you know this larger plan to to target superman I, I felt like it took a little bit away from the power of the moment because when i was listening to that radio yeah. show and you get to that point exactly what you described where you know riggs is this true believer hate flowing mm -hmm. through his veins he wants 100 percent americans only right right and exactly like you said, the mogul is like, oh, like we're trying to make money here. And it was that was that was one of the the standout moments where I was like, this is so sophisticated mm -hmm. and and clever. And, and and you know, not to make it sound like I wouldn't expect anything like that, but especially knowing that it was made, you know, so many years ago for a young audience, I, I was so blown away because it show in one fell swoop, right? It shows this this group, the clan, that you do have people with genuinely hateful hearts mm -hmm. and you also have particularly at the very top people who are these ideological black holes who are just trying to, yes. to trying to make money a la our last president exactly i was thinking you know in in this case you know in the show he got choked out in real life you know two hundred thousand of them stormed the capitol you know it's true believers are scary and it's people who are trying to make money off of them that lead them into the scariest places. Right. And it's, you know, look, I'll continue on this track for a moment, especially when we're talking about the last guy in the Oval Office. It's like all of the people who he is pandering to, mm -hmm. he wouldn't be caught dead with any of them yeah. in, in any other type of scenario than a rally when they're, where they're cheering for him. Right. Yet, you know, this, this, movement has built up around him and so yeah the seeing those parallels it was you know it, it was eerie and again i mean eerie but also heartbreaking that this continues mm -hmm. to play out but yeah i prefer the radio version and i just felt like man like this really is really making the case against the clan in every mm -hmm. way it can and, and really trivializing especially in that respect Mm -hmm. Right. And really undermining this image that they're trying to put out there. It was astounding. Well, I think, you know, I, I did a lot of research on the backstory behind the story, too. And the actual radio company, they had someone infiltrate the Klan back in the 40s. And they learned all the ins and outs and um, they learned all their, their rituals and they wanted to demystify it. They wanted people to see how ridiculous it is in the in the scene where Matt takes Chuck to the meeting. He says, okay, now we're going to make the sigil of the, and it's some silly word, the sigil of the, of the thingy thingy on his chest. And it's, it's like, okay. And, and a lot of it is just, you know, it's, it's not this great dark cult of mysticism. It's just a bunch of goobers in their work boots and their sheets out in the woods. And they're here to take, you know, and it's just a scam to get your money. And it's, you know, it's impressive. What it's impressive how much work they put into this back in the forties. I didn't do as much research as you did, but uh, you know, allegedly this did hurt. This radio show did hurt recruitment efforts. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it put them back for it put them back like 20 years. And by the time they were able to start making a comeback, it was when kind of things were turning around the other way with the civil rights movement. So it really hurt them for a long, long time. Yeah, I love that a Superman story was used in this way because as as has been said, and when I agree <laughs> that uh, you know super, Superman is for everyone. Yes, and and so to see a story where it's at the forefront like that was was really powerful. And actually, I, going back to the arc that Superman has, it did add another dimension to it because you know Superman is white, and it plays out more mm-hmm. in the comic where you know Riggs and or, and the other clans, you know, look look to Superman almost as an ally initially as an ally yeah. initially. Right. Yeah. Cause he Chuck looks like is a big Superman fan starting out. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, this revelation that he's not from here and, and he's, he mm-hmm. is this, this other, uh, you know, just, you know, you see that commonality between him and the people he's, he's defending and really draws that line, you know, between, you know, between him and, and those who would, would, would look at him as, as a hero right. in, 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 in the wrong context. So, yeah, no, I thought. And that they really show worked. how his fears actually played out in real life when he shows up at the ball field with his full powers. When he's floating there, shooting heat vision, most of the adults turn on him. They're like, "He's an alien. Get him, Grand Scorpion!" And it's the kids, you know, most of the kids that are like, "No, that's that's our Superman." They have that one kid that goes, "He doesn't smell like cotton candy. He smells like ashes." <laughs> one kid that was obsessed with him and wanted to know what he smelled like. But yeah, it's, most of the adults do actually turn them and there's not a turnaround for that. There's not a, oh, well, no, okay. He's, it's the adults stay, you know, anti-Superman to the end of the story. And it's the kids who stay pro-Superman, which yeah. is pretty fascinating. I liked, I, I got to give it to the comic also for, you know, for fleshing out the Lee family, giving them, mm-hmm. you know, both parents more to do and, and introducing the sister and also you know, keeping Tommy a part of the story throughout, right. because like you said, in the mm-hmm. radio show there, you know, there are a number of attempts against the Lees and basically they all play out to some degree or another in the comic as well. But first the clan, you know, burns the the cross in their lawn and uh, there's uh, an attempt to blow up the bicycle at one point as well in, in the radio show. <laughs> Instead of a car bomb, it's a bicycle bomb. <laughs> yeah. A bicycle bomb. Again, relating to what kids can relate to, you know, Right. This, Your mom and dad might not have a car, but you got a bike, Billy. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, this this attempt to abduct and and tar and feather uh and mm-hmm. you know, in both instances Tommy's able to you know, both the comic and the radio show he's able to escape and and jump out of the car, but he breaks his arm and then he, mm-hmm. he retreats into the river and that necessitates the rescue from Superman and like you said, I mean, at that point in the radio show, he's pretty much done and you know, yeah. most of the action then shifts towards the clan targeting Perry and Jimmy. Mhm two white guys and you right. know, and then a lot of it becomes about, about saving them. So I like, I did like how, you know, the Lees remain more prominent in the comic story mm-hmm. and that even when Perry is abducted, it's with Henderson who again is, is a black man in the comic. Okay. Right. So, and I, I like there, there's a little bit when Clark is trying to convince Dr. Lee in the radio show to stay around. Dr. Lee, Dr. Lee wants to leave town, which as a parent, I totally get. You know, if my thought, my, my wife and my kid were in danger. We're like, we're going to go, you know, I, you know, somebody else can be the hero. I need to protect my family. But he's saying, you know, Clark is saying, well, we'll get police protection. And Dr. Lee says the police might be in on it. And in the comic, you see, that's true. You know, that we have the one cop that's 
helps Riggs escape and then you know pulls a gun on Inspector Henderson and says, "Well, you don't have your badge now." And yeah, that's and you know as we're seeing from you know people that are getting indicted for the one six insurrection, some cops were in on it. Not and I'm I'm not in all cops are bad person. I I worked in a in a line of work that was tangential law enforcement for 16 years, but it's it's a it's an unfortunate thing. <laughs> I appreciated that the comic went there with that cop, for example, because mm-hmm. you know, to your point in the radio show, virtually everyone except the clans members mm-hmm. are you know are on the side of of righteousness so for I the did. most part, yeah. right? Uh, which again, I think for the audience at the time made yeah. sense, but doesn't reflect you know, sad to say the the reality of what it is. And so with the comic, you know, and, and even whether it's the casual racism of, you know, the, you know, the, the kids at the, mm-hmm. at the clubhouse or yeah. uh, the, the fellow scientists who come to greet uh, the lead. Now, of course we find out that they are members of the, right. of the fiery cross, but initially, right. you know, you don't know that. And, you know, the, the, the remarks that they make as well. So yeah, I think the comic really painted the fuller picture of, of what's going on and yeah. how it's not just the ones, you know, mm-hmm. in those hoods. Yeah, it's yeah, much more nuance. Um, I, I appreciate the show trying to idealize it to kind of put that idealism in the kids' heads, you know. But I, I think kids today are a lot more savvy, and I think making it more nuanced works much better with modern kids. Modern kids are really, really smart. <laughs> they pick up on these things, you know. You know, when I sit down and watch the new, when I sit down and watch the political news, my 11 year old daughter sits down and watches it with me. Um, so, you know, kids get it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I try to think there other things that stood out uh, just on a, on a lighter note, but uh, the use of a sore, the word sore head uh, to, yeah. to, to describe Chuck. I like that, that, you know, not in use anymore, but uh, you see that a lot and they yeah. use it in the, in the comic who, as well. Yeah, won't cooperate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sore head. I, I love a lot of those, you know, old timey things. It listening to some of the dialogue, it reminds me, you know, like I said, my grandpa's still alive, and I spent more time with my grandfather than I did than I did with my parents as a kid. And like, man, that's like listening to my grandpa talk, and it was it's really neat, you know, just like when Clark is trying to convince someone of something, and he says. I tell you it is. And then Perry goes, well, I tell you it's not. And it's just based on his opinion. He's like, I tell you it's not. And I, I just thought that was really funny. Something I can relate to from, you know, nostalgia. Did you catch the mention of Luthor in the comic? Oh, I don't think there's I a, did. There's I a really brief mention of Luthor. I don't remember where, it, I think it's an issue two. Somewhere in it, Superman saying, well, I don't know who would do this. Maybe it's Luthor or maybe they're Teufel. And I had to look up who Der Teufel is. Uh, Der Teufel is a Nazi scientist who creates the radio show version of Adam Man. Ah, okay. And so, so Yang was pulling from multiple sources when he put this together. Oh, now that you say, I do remember the the Luther mention. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it didn't register a second ago. But yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I love I love all these pulls. It's it, it's great to be. And look, there's so much history to mine. So it's it's mm-hmm. nice, especially. Like, that's the thing, you know, you often see pulls from, you know, the Christopher Reeve movies or, you know, things that mm-hmm. are, 
you know, are so prevalent. But, you know, to kind of go back to this this earlier time, there's there's a lot there. I would imagine there, you know, with over 2000 episodes, I'm sure there's so much more that that is ripe for a revival. And, you know, I've you know, when I when I read that, I was like, OK, I knew I I assumed that the Adam man in the comic was based on the the TV, uh, the movie serial version that you and Tyler watched and talked about. And apparently they're very different. You know, the, the one from the movie serial, from what I understand, is, is really Luthor in disguise. Is that right? Yeah. You know, yeah. This is a this is a radioactive Nazi. Basically, <laughs> it's very much like the, the comic version. So it's like, OK, well, I want to listen to that. And I started listening to it and I said, well, this spins out of this previous story about the Scarlet Widow. I was like, OK, I got to listen to that. Well, that spins out of this previous story that introduced kryptonite. So there's this, you know, these like, like 50 to 100 episodes that are back to back to back to back to back that all line up, you know, in an order. And I was like, this is so cool. It's such a deep well. And, you know, I've just fallen down it completely. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I expect that I'll listen to more as well. Uh, certainly if you have recommendations on a, yeah. either individual episodes or arcs, uh, please mm-hmm. feel free to let me know because yeah, it was, like I said, I, I really love the form and mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's, it's different. And, again, a largely untapped area for me when it comes to Superman. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's, it's so much to explore. That's, mm-hmm. a, you know, that's, you know, I think why, you know, going back to this, you know, there's so many Superman podcasts, it's like, well, with an 80 plus year mythology, <laughs> there's, a mm-hmm. lot, there's an awful lot. There's kind of, there's room for it. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, you know, that's one thing I was like, okay, you know, you know, it, you may have to look a little bit to find your niche to make your show stand out, but you're not going to have to look very hard because it's a huge, you know, arena to choose from. So. What what else about uh, either of these versions uh, of the story uh, that we haven't touched on? Did you want to talk about? Mm, I think that about sums it up. I, let me, let me flip through my notes really quick that I took a lot of, uh, again, I just, I thought it was really smart that, uh, that they, they bookend it with baseball, you know, trying to make it relatable to kids. It starts with the baseball game that sets the whole thing off with Chuck accidentally getting beamed. And then it comes back around to the baseball championship. And it's just like just high baseball drama about racism, <laughs> which is pretty fascinating. Um, well, while you look, I'll just say to your point, I do, sure. I, you know, the baseball piece of it is <laughs> got a little bit lost on me. I've, not into sports. Yeah. I used to be into basketball in elementary school and then that sort of faded. I was really into it at the time, but anyway, so, but you know, hearing you talk about it, it's true. I mean, I think that was, it's like Superman and baseball. If you need, <laughs> I don't know if you could come up with a better it's, vehicle for delivering a story like that than, than with those two pieces. And I, yeah, the bookend, you know, the, the baseball is bookends, I think works nicely. It definitely works better in the comic because that's where you have mm-hmm. the, the culmination of, of Clark's own journey through right. this. Um, whereas in the radio show, it's sort of felt like, I don't know, like we've already reached the high point here and now it's like just sort of continue. But when you go to the yeah. comic and it's like, no, like there's really something that needs to happen here for, yeah. you know, for, for Clark in particular, it, it ties it all together and it's, it's a, it's a worthy payoff. The other thing too, it's, it's minimal here, but along with Lois's enhanced role in this, you know, you do get a couple of nice moments with, uh, with Clark and Lois, and there's a scene where they're, mm-hmm. you know, at a restaurant together or something like that. And, you know, he's starting to have visions of his parents and he's looking past Lois and she thinks he's looking at, at another woman and she gets mad and she storms off. And, 
And he's mm-hmm. like, why, you know, why would I look at anyone else when I'm already talking to the smartest, prettiest, most fearless woman in the world? It's like, oh, he breaks your yes. heart for him. Uh, uh, stuff like yeah. that was really nice. Um, one thing I re- also really like, well, for, to going back to what you were saying about the baseball game, for anyone that hasn't listened to them or read them, in the radio show, it just ends with, you know, all the Klansmen get arrested, uh, the, the Grand Scorpion escapes, and he gets a hunting rifle, and he's going to just pick off his own nephew and Perry and Jimmy at the baseball game and Superman stops him. The end, like you said, it's very anticlimactic in the comic. He shows up with this like cable from Marvel gun strapped to his back. That's loaded with kryptonite. And he's this like this onslaught of kryptonite weapons and a kryptonite dagger. And it, it, yeah, like you said, it really makes much more of a satisfying climax where Superman's up against more or less a super villain by the end of the story. Um, But one other thing I thought was really cute, it's at the very beginning of issue three of the comic series where he's having a a flashback. He's having a memory of when he went to the circus as a kid and he's seeing the flying Graysons, which I thought was really neat. That was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. It it really makes me hope that Yang does a spinoff of this because there is a Superman Batman crossover in the radio show which I would love to see an adaptation of. But I think I also like it when he has this uh, talk with the strong man, because this lion runs amok and he saves the strong man. He's like, you know, Clark's maybe 17 years old and he sits down with the strong man. And he's like, look, you know, um, people don't recognize me when I'm not being the strong man. I'm just the ticket guy. But when I put on a flashy outfit, which is like a red bodysuit with blue trunks and blue boots, people look at me completely different. And so, you know, that's where he gets the inspiration through the costume. And it's the word strong man is, is written in bold words. So, so many times that's put right next to the S on his costume. It's like, was the implication that what he was thinking about calling himself strong man, but who knows? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. I love that too, because, you know, we all, you know, again, appreciating the history of the character, you know, know that, you know, that was the mm-hmm. an inspiration for the costume, but to right. see that play out in the context of the story where he's at the mm-hmm. circus and having that conversation was really cool. Yeah, that was, like I said, part of me does wonder, like I said at the top, you know, maybe could this have been set in present day, but I, I enjoy the 1946 setting. And I think what's especially mm-hmm. cool about it is, like, I love that version of the character, but so to sort of take that and then infuse it with, you know, with other elements of the mythology like kryptonite, mm-hmm. like the emerging powers, like the Kent still being there, like Lana, like to take that earliest version of the character and flesh it out like that. It really is, it, it has its own flavor yeah, uh, and, and is really cool. So yeah, like the, cir- I mean, you could still do with the thing now where he's goes to the circus, but it, it, it feels, it definitely feels more organic and natural in that setting. Yes. And, and like you said, I love just a little bit of Kenny Braverman there. That was so it was funny. It was fun to have, you know, for those of us that appreciate 90s Superman comics. Um, you know, I, I almost got into Superman the same time you, you know, you did like chronologically the same year. Cause I got into Superman with the reign of the Superman and kept going for a little after it. And unfortunately it's the long hair killed my enthusiasm for it, but I've since gone back and I really liked nineties and yeah, seeing, seeing who, I would like to see a that universe's version of conduit. I would like to see some kind of like jacked up 1940s, maybe 1950s, like engine punk version of conduit. That would be really neat. 
and just the fact that his mom's like a crazy religious nut was really funny too. You know, it doesn't even factor in his overbearing dad. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the 90s comics, that's what's coming up on the show. Uh, not too long from now, we're going to have a big sequel to our Crisis Till Death event from last year. So uh, I'm very excited to to reread those Kenny Braverman conduit stories for the first time in well, decades now. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it should be, it should be a lot of fun. Well, I, I think that's sort of, you know, we sort of hit on everything that, you know, that, that I wanted to, um, is there anything else you want to say before we, before we sign off? No, that, that is all the thoughts I can think to think. Right on. Well, again, you know, for anyone who, you know, who hasn't read Superman smashes the clan or hasn't listened to the clan of the fiery cross radio mm -hmm. story from the adventures of Superman radio show, we didn't mention Bud Collier as the voice of, of yes. Clark and Superman, but uh, you know, an, an iconic vocal performance and uh, does a great job of differentiating yes. the characters. I mean, I think really set exactly. the template and you, yeah. you know, he continued to voice the character in other iterations and even those, you know, after him, you know, I think, you know, take mm -hmm. some cues. So, uh, but if anyone hasn't read or listened, you know, hopefully we've made the case for it <laughs> over the course yeah, of, I hope so. This is a fun series all the way through. There are some, weird story arcs that I haven't gotten to yet that I cannot wait to get to. Some of them are just your typical bank robbers and smugglers and, and stuff like that. But some of them sound bonkers and I can't wait to listen to those. Right on. Well, I hope you enjoy your, your continued exploration. I look forward to uh, diving in more fully at some point as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I really appreciate these stories. I, like I said, I, I unfairly discounted smashes the clan because it was for young adults and like I said, radio show largely remains unexplored for me. And so this was really quite the revelation to, to yeah. see the, uh, you know, the depth, you know, and, and the ambition of these stories in terms of the points mm -hmm. that they were making and the way, the way that they did it. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I was tremendously impressed. I really enjoyed comparing notes with you. Uh, I yes. hope that everyone will uh, check out the Truth, Justice and Hope podcast and check you out on Twitter. What's, what's the handle for everyone to follow? It's at about Superman. And you do such a great job with, with the Twitter. I mean, as you're going, I know, you know, the, the podcast, I know you're largely focusing on the rebirth era and what you talk about, yeah. but and on Twitter, I know you're, you know, you'll write, you know, blurbs and share some art about, you know, issues as you're reading them. So the, the yeah. Twitter in and of itself is its own, is its own Entity. thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and that's why I got into podcasting because I can't not read something I like and share my thoughts about it. So, you know, it's, you know, follow me on Twitter if you'd like my thoughts about everything. You know, listen to the podcast if you just want to hear me ramble about rebirth and my thoughts on ethical humanism. So, Right on. Well, thank you very much, Grant. And thank you to the audience, as always. I really appreciate you listening. Now, next week was going to be a skip week for Labor Day, but instead we're going to have something very special that is going to tee up a new side project that I'm going to do. So make sure that you come back next week and tune in to an all-new episode of Digging for Kryptonite. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group, like the Digging for Kryptonite Facebook page, and follow us on Instagram at Digging for Kryptonite Pod and on Twitter at Digging for KR Pod. Also, be sure to visit FlatSquirrelProductions.com for more film and podcast projects, including My Comic Shop History and My Comic Shop Country. Thank you. <laughs>